Hi, Nello Watch fans, and welcome to another edition of The Real Time Show. With me, your friendly neighborhood jeweler, Aloma Joseph. I'm back in the studio as we had so much fun on our first ever Q&A episode together. David Vaucher, our in-house resident provocateur. How are you, David? As always, doing great and always even better when I get to talk watches with my friends. So thank you very much for having me here. Before we dive back into our uh, awesome mailbag, I have one question for you. Personal question for you. How much time do you spend a week on watches? And if so, what do you do? Uh, this is one of those things where I'm kind of scared to run the bath. Uh, so, okay, let me break down my watch habits. I read a lot of watch news. So I use Watchicity, which um, after Hodinkee shut down, it was called Watchville, if I remember right. Uh, Watchicity popped up. And so I probably spend about, let's see, 10, 15 minutes reading the news every day. Then I listen to podcasts. TRTS, obviously, but then there's other shows I listen to. So let's call that 45 minutes a day just to do the uh, just to do the math properly. So let's say that's an hour. And then if I'm recording uh, an episode as I as I am today, let's just spread that out over the couple of days. Over, let's just spread that out over a week and say that's 15 minutes. So it's an hour and a quarter. And then I browse watches quite a bit. So she's oh, getting bad. Let's say an hour a day. And uh, let's go ahead and say two hours and a quarter, which is kind of horrifying, but also unsurprising. And I will just say, because I've been uh, pinged in the background to, to give the, the watchicity information. I think the easiest for you to do, uh, if you'd like to go find this, just go to the app store on Apple and type in watchicity, W-A-T-C-H-I-C-I-T-Y. And uh, I'm not sure. Let me just check what the outlet is uh, for that. I think it was watch time but i could also be wrong um that's watchanista i apologize so watchanista.com and watchicity w-a-t-c-h-i-c-i-t-y is the app and uh again alan my answer to your question is two and a quarter hours a day is what i spend on watches i'd ask you but you're in the business it must be a a lot a lot higher than that (laughs) yeah let's filter out the retail stuff but um it is a Utter, utter, utter disease. It's an obsession. Uh, I've said this many times at my favorite magazine ever since I'm a kid as Europe a star. I still digest a lot on paper. I don't know what about you. So I read uh, all the Dutch magazines, uh, Revo, physically, and Europe a star. Then, obviously, Sneaker Freaker on paper. And then I digest uh, all the sneaker news on blogs. Where my two go to is sneakerfreaker.com. And for for watches, I actually don't use didn't use Watchville or the new one you're referring to. I am subscribed to my favorite blogs. Um so that's the daily feed, obviously Instagram. My feed is 90% watches, literally. So uh on my socials, it's all about watches, watches, watches. Um, podcasts also half is watches the real time show I don't listen to our episodes unless I'm not on it so obviously I listen to all your articles and whenever you and and or Rob record without me so I actually listen to those Um, I want to give a shout out to our dear members 
that in the TRTS network that started their own podcast, Lydia and Vu, two Americans in Stockholm. So they're part of the TRTS Swedish mafia. Uh, shout out to them. They started This Watch Life on January 1st. They are partners in real life and also watch mates and now co-podcast hosts. Very cool concept in English. They record daily early in the morning, 15 minutes, five times a week. So working days, they put out every morning a fun episode. So I highly recommend you to listen to them. And that automatically gives me a segue to Bianca's question that she sent to us via the network and is in the mailbag because she's down under and she also started listening to This Watch Life and she sent us a question that got sparked listening to Lydia and Vu. Um, what are the watches that you didn't like or hated at first that then became favorites or purchases. So she gave an example that Lydia clicked on Rolex OPs. Just check her Instagram and you'll understand why. She says for herself, it's the Bulgari Serpenti Tubogas. And it's a two-part question. I'll read it out and then we'll answer both of us, David. So Bianca's second question is, any common themes on when that tends to happen? For example, for her, she thinks when she tried on the Bulgari for the first time, it wasn't a very good experience all around. She says retailer-wise, so the retail experience wasn't as she hoped. And that tainted her thoughts on the watch. But she's realized ever since that the two are obviously unrelated. Curious to hear the thoughts either on the pod, what you guys think. So, David, you go first. Part one. What are watches that you did not like or hated at first and did become or a purchase or even favorites for you? Okay. So, how about we do this? We'll each answer a part one and then we'll go to part two and alternate. Okay. Okay. So, uh, the most immediate example of a specific watch because I think there's other more general things I'd like to talk about in part two, but for a specific watch, uh, it's actually very appropriate because on my wrist, I have, uh, as you know, listeners will know, I have like Cartier Santos Dumont. And I actually did not like anything from Cartier when I first started, uh, especially this watch. It just seemed really fancy, uh, fancy in like in the dressy way, right? Like I wanted a, a sporty dive watch. It just seemed a little bit dainty, in the sense that it wouldn't kind of keep up with what I was trying to do in life, which is ridiculous because even though I, I do have a, a past life uh, out in the field, you know, it's been a long time since I've actually been out in a pair of coveralls. So a Cartier dress watch would have been fine, but I just had this impression that it wasn't for me at all. And then as I started looking into their heritage, what they were doing, what the capabilities of the watches actually were, right? So in the case of the Santos Dumont, there's no screw down crown, but it's a hundred meters water resistant. It's got lubed hands and it just ended up being the the perfect watch for, for me. I, I love everything about this now. 
And uh, it's one of those things where I'm, I'm just really glad I was able to get over my quite silly preconceived notions and look at what the watch actually was in real life. And I ended up being very happy with it. So for me, it's rectangular watches. So I love the aesthetics of rectangular watches. Think of old Pateks. Obviously think watches by Cartier. All of them. They have so many. And all of them are awesome. Well, you don't like Roman numerals either, Alain D, no, right? No, no, no. So okay. That bridge, I did not cross yet. So going back to rectangular, obviously the epitome of elegance in rectangular is Jejar le Coultre. How's my French on that, by the way? Very close. I guess what we're going to do from now on is you say, and I say my pronunciation, you were very close. I would say Jejar le Coultre. Jejar le Coultre. Yes, perfect. Parfait. Jejar le Coultre. Parfait. When we speak English with a French accent, you actually want me to do it in my French as well. <laughs> sure. <laughs> as long as you don't ask me to do the, the Dutch or anything. Uh, don't. Sure, but... but I, but your French is, is excellent. Keep going, Alan. Very good. No, it's not. It's not. It's not. It's, not, it's actually, I'm learning French. The, the TRTS network asked me to work on it. So, guys, it's your fault that I keep on repeating French words. Reverso, obviously, is the legend, the icon in rectangular. I've never pulled the trigger because I don't, I don't know. It, 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 on my wrist, it doesn't do it for me. And then, because... Uh, Nicholas of Fears Watches came on the show, and I've said this many times on air that this show is not good for me because I'm, I'm discovering new stuff and it's it's fueling my appetite for more watches. And that happened with Fears. So I saw their archival 1930 watch on paper, so picture online, I fell head over heels. And I really hoped that I would not like it in real life. So we had an awesome meetup during Geneva Watch Days, Rob and I, with uh, the guys from uh, Collective Horology, the team from Fears, uh, Scottish Watches were, were there, the team. So a fun evening in Geneva. Summer night out, dinner, drinks, fun. And I, I, couldn't, I couldn't resist, so I emailed Nicholas, would you mind bringing a 1930 with so I can try it on? So he brought it. It clicked immediately. I wanted to hate it, and I bought it. So, funny story, though. My mom also is a half-watch nerd, and she like likes bigger watches. She goes up to 39, 40 even, but she always loves rectangular watches. Ever since I'm a kid, I remember her rocking several uh, tanks by Cartier. She has uh, reversos. So I don't know why she started talking to me about rectangular watches. And then I said, you know, I have a new one. So, and, and obviously I didn't show it to her apparently. Maybe she did or didn't see it on my Insta. But I get this comment. A lot of people don't understand if it's mine or not when I post stuff. So usually when it's my personal collection, I write that it's my personal collection. So I loaned her the watch. And guess what? I'm now, again, in my private collection, rectangular less. My mom fell in love as well, so I gifted it to my mom, that watch. So, so that's my story about hating and becoming favorites. Now, <laughs> you gave me a segue to Roman numerals. Yeah, you have to tell me this because you never, you never explained it, so I'm looking forward to this. Well, I don't think it's a matter of 
explaining. It's uh, some some screws loose in my mind. I love fonts in general. I love all fonts. I love some more for me. I love some more for the documents I create in Word. I don't Photoshop, but I obviously create a lot of, I have a lot of content created, and then I'm very specific in what fonts I do or don't want. Also, when we designed the Ace logo, redesigned it back in the end of the 90s, uh, it took us hours and hours, literally days, to do. And we have a smiley E if you pay attention to it. So, um, so I'm very, very sensitive to that. And I love the concept of Roman numerals, right? Because they're letters that have a numeric value and you literally add them up because it's, it's, an, it's a math equation, Roman numerals. Reading numbers in Roman numerals is a math equation. So it's actually, an in, an, 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 you need intellect for that. So I, I love the idea of Roman numerals because in Hebrew, it's the same. Letters have a numeric value so words have a numeric value, and that's Kabbalistic and Jewish mysticism. So I'm very, very drawn to that. Now, I believe the most elegant ladies watch out there is a Cartier tank, actually. But I'm, strange enough, extremely a hardliner on tanks for men. I don't know why. It's it's something in my mind. Now, I've owned one watch that had Roman numerals, only one, and only once in my life, which was an Ulysse Nardin Marine Torpilleur. How was my French on that? Très bien. That's, that's a very, well, French was good, and that's a very left-field choice for a watch, so I'm curious to hear about this one. It It is such an intrinsic part of the design, and it works, that I liked it. What I love about the Cartier Tank also is the, the the design nudge in there. And there are two things. One is, I don't know if you ever paid attention to the four. The, wa- the watchmaker's four? So the number four on the dial? Yes. It's four stripes, right? Yep, looking at it right now. Apparently, back in the day in Roman times, you could use both, right? So either a an I and a V, which is the most common used now, but apparently it's not wrong to use four stripes. But when Cartier started using that in the beginning of the 20th century, we it was common to use one and a V, I and a V. So I think that's a cool aspect. And in the number 10, they added at a certain point, I believe in the 50s, but I'm not quite sure. I need to check up on that, that they added very tiny, the word Cartier in the, the, the cross dash of the 10. And the X. I'm going to have to pull out a loop and check that. So I'm doing this by heart. But in one of the numbers on the left-hand side from the 6, I believe it's the 10. So they lit a little copyright thing. So uh, also a little hallmark to to stop counterfeiting. Um, They added a criteria. So these are little design quirks that I love. Um, But I, I, I don't know what it is with me. So I had a devil's dilemma when we designed the collab with Elka watch company. So you might know that Hakim El-Kadiri and I created a series called the Diversity Series, where we took his original design with Arabic numerals, so let's say normal in brackets, 
And then we said, hey, let's play with all our different cultural backgrounds. So we created one with Chinese numerals, letters, with Eastern Arabic, so Hindi numerals, and Hebrew. And both of us didn't even mention Roman numerals. But I had to be devil's advocate. And I said, let's design one. And it didn't work with his design. And obviously, we had to make a Kali dial. So a Byzantium dial. Strangely, and I'm actually lying. I have several gnomuses with a, with a Kali dial. So the northern part is with Arabic numbers and the southern part. So let's say from three to nine is Roman numerals. So I'm half cheating, right? So, but strangely enough, I love Kali dials. So I don't know what it is. I've said this many times on air. We need to get a shrink on, David. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I'll be honest. I don't get Cali dials at all. Like my my, my eyes just go cross-eyed and I, I, I don't get it. I just don't get it. But it just shows it's such a subjective hobby, right? Like something that you dislike, I might love and, and vice versa. Because when I started out, my first nice watch I ever bought was a five-digit Rolex. And I had to make sure I had Roman numerals on it, on it because that was just the absolute height of sophistication to me at 24 years old was... If I have Roman numerals, that's it. I, I have a man of taste. Funny. It's it's interesting. Um, so I love it when I'm in Italy. In Amsterdam, a lot of the buildings have Roman numerals on them to to uh, tell how old the building is, right? So so what year they were erected. Um, so yeah, interesting. So so um, today, I believe it's. Uh, by by millennials or even Gen Z considered as old fashioned. I even wonder if they know how to read those letters. My my kids are too young, so my my son is seven and he's learning three languages in two different alphabets. I didn't get to Roman yet with him, but obviously he needs to learn it. But I'm actually very curious because um, you hear more and more that now kids don't even know how to read analog times or round clock, right? It's all becoming digital. So I, I wonder what will happen to these Roman numerals in watchmaking. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as, as you were talking, I was thinking like Cartier actually makes tanks now that don't have anything on the dial. They're just sort of blank dials. Now, I'm, I, you know, I'm sure it's a deliberate design decision, but you know, if we want to be a little bit conspiratorial, maybe we can say that that's Cartier hedging their bets for Gen Z in 20 years' time, right? Can't read Roman numerals, so just take everything off the dial. Actually, interesting that you mentioned that because I recently bought a new tank for my wife, which is exactly that one. But I love the less is more when it's an iconic case. So I don't want to say too much. I'm working on project two with Hakim El-Kadiri. And the only thing I'll say is stay tuned. But when it's an iconic dial, uh, sorry, iconic watch case or glass or it has a beautiful shape i think it works so um but i feel you it's 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 almost not a tank anymore if it doesn't have roman numerals does it yeah no i hadn't thought of it like i think your point is a good one because on one hand i, I recognize it's a cartier from the cabochon and the shape of the case but then the roman numerals are also kind of a a key signature as well yeah, it's it's interesting. Okay, so let's go to the second part of Bianca's question. 
So any common themes on when that tends to happen? So why do you dislike a watch at first or hate it even? And then it turns in either a purchase and or a favorite. So what what walk us through your process. So the hunt and then the capture and then the afterlife. So what's the evolution for you, David? I'm going to generalize this because I'm going out. I think everyone that gets into watches probably goes through roughly the same journey. And so I'm going to list two families of watches and I'll describe how my process with those went. So the two families, and this is going to sound very silly, right? But I, I'm admitting it's silly. And, uh, and hopefully, you know, everyone that thinks that this is not silly now and takes it seriously will evolve and, uh, and grow to love these two families. So I'm going to stop waffling and just say it. quartz watches and anything from Seiko. So Alan, do you, do you see where I'm going with this in terms of progress in a watch journey? Because anyone that gets into watches, if you're anything like me, the first thing they'll say is, no, I don't want quartz. Quartz is cheap garbage. It has to be mechanical or automatic. And the second family is Seiko because Seiko is a huge brand and they are very present at the lower end of the market and people will associate anything from Seiko with that lower end and say, you know what? This is not worth my time. And the way that I got over those two things was I would say the same general process. So the first is that you just become more educated. So you read more and you start to understand that, hey, you know, quartz is not worse. It's just different. And it could be better adapted to situations where mechanical watches are not. You know, a G-Shock is a great example of that. And the second and so, and with with regards to Seiko, you know, you you read a little more. So first, you might just say, "I'm going to skip any article on Seiko," but then you click on a link, and you're like, "Oh, this is for a watch called the Seiko Turtle." And the Seiko Turtle's been around since the the '60s, and it's iconic, and it is mechanical, and it has a design that you can't even get in Switzerland. So if if you like the turtle, that is an inherent thing to Seiko and Japanese watchmaking. So that kind of piques your interest. And then you really fall down the rabbit hole and you combine the two and you end up at Grand Seiko and the 9F movement and the fact that the brand grows their own quartz crystals and they're completely integrated. And so you realize through education that all of these checkboxes you had in your head for what a luxury watch should be comprised of, Seiko has that. The second element I think that's really important to getting over that kind of uh, bias is going to meetups, right? Because when you go to meetups, someone will have a Seiko 9F on their wrist or someone will have uh, a Seiko Turtle or a Samurai or a Sumo on their wrist and you hold it, you think, wow, that feels really nice. That feels like what a nice watch should feel like. And so that exposure, that continued exposure, right? So going from education by yourself to um, experiencing it in person, I think is very important. The third step, I think, is that 
you sort of realize that the people who you maybe look up to in watches, they're telling you like, no, don't be ashamed about Quartz and Seiko. Like these are legitimate things in timekeeping. And so having that validation, which doesn't count as much further in your journey, but I think counts for a lot early on is really important. And I think the fourth step for me, I've talked about this before, is that the, the older you get, the the less you care. So you kind of tend to find that a rich life is one where you don't put barriers up for yourself. And uh, it's better just to offhand say, yes, I'm going to try it rather than no, I don't like this. And once you've kind of breached that barrier, then I think the floodgates open and the hobby and, and life generally just become a lot more interesting because you're you're inclined to say, I'm going to try this rather than no. I, I don't like it. For me, it's a combination of really, really holding it, trying it on. But we discussed this in depth that also, unfortunately, if the brand or the watch or the experience is surrounded with negativity, it can either taint your passion or experience with that watch or even put you off. So I feel you completely, Bianca, that in if in the retail experience it went totally wrong, I understood it put you off that watch. So still today, I'm 44, born into this business, started my journey literally as a four-year-old with swatches and G-Shocks that came out in 83. And I don't think I go cyclical, so fall in love, out of love, back into love. They always say uh, old love doesn't rust, right? It's a Dutch saying, so I translate that. Um, but let me take, for example, a Breitling Chronomat. Used to adore them, had many versions. Whenever I still see the old ones, I know why I love them, but I don't want to have, have one in my collection anymore and don't have the need to buy one back. And, and, and then it's actually interesting, and that's maybe the second thing we need to analyze with the psychologist that comes on the show, what that is. Do tastes change? Is it because times change? Is it because you evolve in your knowledge? Um, I had a discussion also during one of the Red Bar crew meetings, actually with several members, that when you tumble down that rabbit hole and go higher in the quality of finishing of products, can you enjoy equally the watches that are less expensive because there was less time spent on finishing them, right? So it's about a quality aspect. And 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 that's also an interesting thing because I still buy swatches. I still buy G-Shocks. Um, and I totally agree with you what you said about quartz, watches, and movements. Um, so yeah, that's actually very interesting. So I, I found this a very interesting question. Very cool. Thank you, Bianca. Please keep them coming. Going from this one. David, why don't you pick the next one from the mailbag, please? So this one has come up 
a couple of times and I've always wanted to answer it. And this is from Christopher, who if, if you are in the network and if you're not, please drop Alan or Rob a line. They'll be happy to get you in there. There's always a lot of banter and he's always behind a lot of it. And so the, I'm not surprised by his question because it's very humorous, but it's also kind of serious. And here we go. Christopher asks, if you were to get a watch or clock tattoo, what would you get? Alon, do, do, do you have an answer to go first? Let, let, let's start with, do you have a tattoo at all, David? Because I don't. That's a great question. I don't either. So this is going to be an extremely interesting set of answers. Rob has said also, I believe on air, that he doesn't have one, has been contemplating about it okay. for quite some time. Now... Are you a hardliner like me and you've decided you'll never get one or are you open to getting one? I think I'm open. So if anyone knows, um, and, and I, I apologize, you might, maybe just wanted a one word answer, Alan, but I'm going to stretch it out a little bit. Uh, there was a, a very famous blogger and food writer in the US named Anthony Bourdain. Uh, Alan, does that mean, does that name mean anything to you? Uh, not to me, although I lived in the US, but I was too busy partying when I was living there, apparently. <laughs> okay. So, so Anthony Bourdain uh, has, has a French name, but he, he was American, although worked in, in French kitchens. He was very famous for publishing a book about kind of what happened behind the scenes as a, as a chef at some of these high-end restaurants and uh, had, a, had a very unfortunate end. So unfortunately, just, uh, you know, I, I know it's kind of grim for the show and, uh, and trigger warning if anyone wants to just skip ahead 10 or 15 seconds, but uh, he did take his own life. So it was a very tragic end, but he was an extremely interesting character. Uh, he did have at the end kind of a very like just live your life type of attitude. And he filmed an episode in Austin, Texas, which was very close to where I lived in Houston. And he, he had had a lot of tattoos at the time, but he was at a party with a bunch of like very hipster looking people and someone did tattoos and he was like, yeah, sure. Why not? I'm going to get a tattoo because his philosophy was, look, I want my body at the end of my life to be used up and kind of reflect the life that I've lived. And so I think, Alan, that at some point I might cross that threshold and say, yeah, screw it. I was getting a tattoo, but I'm not, I'm not there yet, but I would be open to it. And just if anyone has, you know, an hour, check that episode out, check his episodes out. It's just very interesting. Um, very interesting character, and the one with the tattoos in particular is uh, is in Austin. So Google or YouTube Anthony Bourdain Austin, and hopefully you'll get uh, you'll get the episode to come up. Okay, so you're on the fence. You're open to it. Open to it. Yeah. Okay. Let's narrow down. Now, what would you get, and what would you do? Let's narrow it down back to the question. You've decided you're going to get a tat. You're going to do it, and let's, for argument's sake, say it has to be watch. Yes. Clock or time related. Yes. What are you going to get, David? Okay. So usually we, we don't discuss the questions beforehand. We want the answers to be spontaneous. This one, I, I had to think about a little bit. I did cheat because if I'm getting a tattoo, it's it's got to be something that means something and isn't very trite. And I'm sure everyone, everyone's seeing like the pictures on uh, on Instagram or on Reddit of people tattooing brand names on themselves. I'm not going to do that. The closest thing I could come up with to a tattoo that I would be happy with was actually coming from like just messing around on AI. So Alan, you and I mess around on AI a lot. And I was just looking for some ideas for designs. And um, if you're, if you've handled American money, you know that it says in God, we trust on it. Right. 
And I would say that particular aspect of American life is one that I am happy to maybe have taken a break from. So France is not like that at all. But I punched it into AI and it said, in gears we trust. And I was like, that's freaking fantastic. I love that. So if I had a tattoo, it would probably be a design of a watch movement that said, in gears we trust on it. Alan, what do you think of that? I love it because as a kid, I was pointed out to the fact that US dollar bills have that sentence on them or money, US. Um, as a kid, I was in a cab with my parents during holiday in Israel. And in the in Israel, they also accept US dollars. And 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 ever since I'm a kid, I love talking to cabbies, so cab drivers. And they always have fun stories and then they're and it and you always learn stuff. So I, one day I had a funny cab driver and I don't know, I, I think my pants paid him in dollars or whatever he says. And then he shouted out, in gold, we trust. So at first I thought he was, he, he wasn't reading it properly, right? So my dad told me how the monetary systems worked with, with, with uh, everything being based on gold and et cetera. So you taking it now to gears we trust, I love it. So would you, tattoo a few gear wheels on your where would you have him put the tat tramp stamp oh, i see you as a tramp stamp guy <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I knew that was coming up too uh you know I, I i don't know i feel like for something for such a serious message like you know on my chest somewhere on my heart or something like that but then i just feel like that would make it look like i was taking myself way too seriously so i i, I don't know let's just go with uh someplace safe back left shoulder I think you should put gears on your skull. <laughs> well, you know, if, so if, if anyone had any doubts, like TRTS is still not my day job. So if I'm talking face tattoos for my first job, uh, I probably need to get some TRTS income lined up first. So that's interesting. So for me, I'm going to pull a 180. I am not going to tattoo my skin. I'm going to tattoo my watch. Ooh, okay. I like where this is going. I've actually been thinking about that for maybe 15 years. So for the record, I love, love tattoos ever since I'm a kid. I truly think that tattooists are artists. Therefore, they're called tattoo artists. In Amsterdam, we had a, uh, when I grew up, a local hero, Henk Schiffmacher. I think today he's now even world-renowned. I guess the most famous one is Mo Coppoletta, and that's my segue in tattooing watches. So every watch that he has tattooed or his design has been engraved into the watch, I love. And I guess the first thing I've ever seen of watches being tattooed is by King Nerd. Um, so I think that's super cool. Um, for those that have no idea what I'm talking about, imagine the outside of a watch, and it works especially well on watches with steel bracelets. Think about integrated bracelets as well, that they are the canvas of a tattoo artist, and you get a full sleeve, right? So when people talk about full sleeves, like you do a full arm or full body tattoo, I love those the most. And yes, I think the Maoris, are the most legendary in that thing. I love the fact that it's either a theme 
or every tad tells a story, and especially when they're intertwined, so it becomes a chronological story. I love that. Whenever I see people, I I look, I comment, I always ask if it's not impertinent, if it has a story, why they did it. So like watches being a, a, a conversation starter, tats are often as well. And why I would never is I have two very deep blockages on, well, actually three, why I would never get a physical one. So one on my body is it's technically not allowed in my culture. So within Judaism, you technically are not allowed. The bigger reason for me is because there's a loophole for that because when you die and you need to get buried, you tainted the body, let's say, and you're not really allowed to hurt yourself if it's not for medical reasons. So needles, right? There's a lot of blood with tattoos. But they burn off the tats when they bury you in a Jewish burial. So there's a loophole there. But I grew up with a lot of survivors, so World War II survivors. So my first tat I've ever seen in my life were Auschwitz survivors with their numbers on their left hand. So that made such a deep, profound, and sad memory in my mind that I can't get past that, right? So whenever I see a person with a tat on their arms, especially the inside of their arms, the first thing I think is always concentration camp. So it's a very negative. So so for me, it and, it, and it's, it's effed up. So it's so I can't go there. And the third reason is change your your tastes change. See watches, right? There's an evolution in your collection, and sometimes you fall out of it. Remember the my Brightling Chronomat story? Yep. And up to a few years ago, you didn't have proper laser treatments to take away tattoos, so it was permanent. So whenever I see people either tattooing a word in let's say Chinese, that means something different. <laughs> I, always, I, I always think how much fun did the tattoo artist have? When he tattoo? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's on par with getting Rolex, you know, the crown tattooed on your wrist. Well, if, like you, if yeah. you did that because you think your dad was the king of your family and you honor him down, good for you. You know what I'm saying? But, sure, sure. But, but we, have, we have actually quite some uh, Amsterdam residents that tattoo the Ajax, the, the soccer team, logo on their body okay so wow but i can actually admire that 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 deep passion uh for for their tribe because they feel part of a tribe if i didn't have these two first blockages i don't think i still would put a tat because i would be scared i would then i'll fall out of love with it so I'm really thinking of tattooing a watch. And I actually had that discussion um, with uh, Red Bar crew members during our uh, previous meetup. Um, my dear friend Romaric Andre introduced me to an amazing Japanese artist, which is Hayate from Katabami Watch Japan. He lives in Amsterdam now, two, three years. So he... Uh, his, his art is aging dials and watches. He started off with Rolexes. Today, he copies 
Rolex watches, which I don't like, but his aging process is amazing. So I actually instilled an idea in his head to do a collab with me and Ace. So that's cool. But what was he rocking on his wrist? A fully tattooed Rolex Daytona, where he aged the dial. That watch was 9 out of 10. Why wasn't it 10 out of 10? He didn't touch the ceramic bezel. <laughs> so yeah well, so, yeah so yeah, it was yeah. it was it was so eclectic it, it took me 10 15 minutes to wrap my head around it but then i had um actually a very deep discussion with my buddy Wouter from uh, wrist icons member of the trts network as well and he sends in these amazing questions in the mailbag as well so shout out to you Wouter. so we had a uh, philosophical discussion yes or no cool or no cool go or no go would you do it i'm like hell yes i've been thinking about it for 10 years um, so that's the tat I would do. And if you would put a gun to my head and ask me if I would have put a tattoo on my body, then most probably I would do something cliche of taking the two birth dates and times of my kids, but maybe I would put it into a constellation. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, sure, sure. so maybe I would do something like that. So. So symbolizing the time of their birth, date and time, by the how the stars were aligned that moment. Maybe something like that. You know, it's it's funny, like hearing you talk, I was just thinking, because on the previous mailbag that we we uh, recorded, we talked about micro brands and ideas and things like that. And like, what if there was a watch that was almost totally blank and the whole point was for you to get it tattooed? I freaking love it. I freaking love it. Let's challenge. Okay. Let's challenge. I, you know what? Damn, David. That's a business idea. So any aspiring watch entrepreneur or established entrepreneur or a watchmaker that has a writer's block, David just gave you an idea. Okay. All right. I want to say free of charge, but it's not free of charge. I think the first piece should be a gift to David. Um, I love it, man. That's awesome. So I'm totally down to see it if someone does it. It also made me think, and we can, we're, you know, this is probably another episode's worth, but the industry has quite a few avenues for tattooing watches. Like the the Reverso is a pretty obvious one. So I think there's different ways to personalize, um, which I'd love to hear, you know, people's comments in, in the, 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 the chat group after. The other thing too, on kind of a lower level was that, you know, Alan, Rob and I were always talking about different ways that we might do some high quality pertinent merch and the in gears we trust came up as maybe a commemorative coin or something like that so if that sounds cool let us know and you know uh for a show motto i'd love to hear your ideas as well from the from the group so definitely let us know but the the watch tattoo thing yeah if you do that and you run with it uh, i want to see what you come up with because i think we get some pretty killer designs love it love it okay so eddie chen sent us a message on linkedin Gents, it's a new year, and I'm wondering what will be your next watch in your personal collection. Great one. Straightforward. So, David, so you had a big reshuffle. If you haven't heard the episode, check out a few episodes back where we did a deep dive with an article analysis and a two-part, sorry, an article episode and a two-part article analysis session about how you transitioned your collection. So, David, do you have... Well, you obviously have watches on your wish list, but are you 
do you think you're going to pull a trigger in 24? And if so, do you already know what it is? Uh, okay. So yeah, the, the wish list, I, I look at that as free. Like that cost me nothing. So the wish list is always growing. Realistically though, and, and I think it's, it sounds nuts because I just spent a whole bunch of time paring down. There are two watches that just really make me think like, okay, I think I can make an exception for these. The first one is a two-tone 36 millimeter Aquaterra. And Alan, your brother had a really nice example on the ACE website for a good price. I don't know if it's there anymore, but that that's the one where I was like, oh, if I'm going to pull the trigger, it's on this one. The other watch I really like uh, is a Zin 936. Does that, does that ring any bells to you, Alan? Okay. So the Zin 936 was introduced, gosh, like six years ago now, I think. And it's a very simple uh, bi-register chronograph. It is quite thick, but if you've listened to the show before, you know that doesn't really mean too much to me. I'm, I can live with it if it's part of the watch. It's a bi-compact chronograph or bi-dual register chronograph uh, and has a lot of the Zin tech, which I really like. Tegmented case, super legible, water resistance, all that good stuff. And that just gets my engineer brain going. So if, if I were to buy a watch, I think it would be those two. And I, I hesitate to say it, but I think that if I had either one of those or both, I think I'd be done. There's just nothing that really piques my interest like either of those two do. You did what you do best is chat, chat elegantly, eloquently, and talk around the bush. Give me, <laughs> <laughs> give me a straight answer. Are you going to pull the trigger in 24? Yes or no on a new watch? Well, you're going to hold out. Yeah, everyone's going to probably give me a ton of trouble after what I just wrote about pairing my collection down. But I would say, yeah, we've got 11 and a half months left. So yes. And if I had to go for one at this point, it's the Zin 936. All right. Zin, you've heard it on the show. And uh, you really need a watch with a date because when we're recording this, this is already the end of uh, January. So 11 months. And when this airs, it's probably way later. So less time to go. So let's see. I think we should make a little wage in the TRTS network. I think, I th let's make a wage. That's cool. Let's do a new game in the TRTS network. Let's do a little pool, a little betting pool. Uh, let's vote how many watches David is going to buy in 24. That includes the new, apparently to be released, Snoopy Swatch. And maybe it's a moon swatch with Snoopy. Would David get that? Would David get on the Blancpain swatch bandwagon? Those all count. And even if he buys a Sin, that counts. Or maybe he gets one of the TRTS collabs, that counts. Does gifting count? No. I think you need to spend that money, okay? So the wage is this. I vote he's going to get. I'm going to do modest. Three watches in 24. That's my bet. Oh. Whoa. For the pool okay. in the game. So, okay. so well, Eddie, don't ask me this question. We have, Did I already get a watch this year? Let me think. Well, when this episode airs, I already have my ace, Christian van der Klau, bought. So I buy every collab that I have the honor to work on. So, and there are many in the pipeline. For ace, we have already about... 10 in 24. TRTS, we're working on amazing collabs. So am I going to buy watches in the new year? Hell yes. 
<laughs> and am I excited about it? Yes. Am I worried? Yes. <laughs> is it going to hurt? Yeah. I think that I need to let go of watches this year. And we've discussed this also in our analysis episode that I'm a hoarder and it's a big problem. And again, we keep on saying it and what we should really do, we need to get a psychologist on the show. So David, we've been rambling quite some time. I think we have time for one more. The honor is yours, sir. Oof. Well, it's it's a shame that we only have time for one more and we're running out of time because it's actually a pretty expansive question. We have uh, Leopold. Uh, so unfortunately, it's not written how this was sent in, but it's that the question from Leopold is, how about a US episode about smallish mid-level brands? So this is, it's pretty, it seems like it's very specific to US brands, but then it also, the, the examples that are given are Laurier, Orion, Serica, which is French, uh, Hoffman, and Weiss. So I think to keep things simple, uh, Alan, how about we just list a couple of our personal favorite micro brands generally? Does that sound okay or did I maybe misread the question? No, that's fine. It's fine. So so I remember why Leopold sent this in the TRTS network. We had an episode where somebody asked why there are not that many American watch brands, whereas America was very important in watchmaking history, it almost, or well, actually went to zero. I mean, Hamilton is Swiss, Waltham is back, but made in Switzerland. And we had a, a little resurgence against, we, we can speak about RGM, Shapiro, Josh Shapiro doing some cool things. Yeah, Shapiro, obviously, yeah, in the in the higher segment of things. Weiss, we've mentioned Hoffman. I don't even know Serica. I got confused by that because I saw that question just now. But Serica, I don't remember to be American, but maybe no, the French. So yeah, it's I, for a French one. I got confused. Orion, I don't even know Laurier. I don't know. So let's, for argument's sake. Upgrade this question, indeed, to all small-ish mid-level brands out there today. Good one, David. Let's let's morph the question to that. I think we should. Yep. Yeah. So, for me, and and this is also, an, uh, we 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 owe that question still to our listeners. We Rob and I said that we are going to do just one episode about micro brands, and 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 and, and why we've been postponing it. Because how do you coin that term? How do you formalize, form that, formulate, sorry, that term? So uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, disagreement, like what is manufacturer and isn't. Swiss made is regulated. It's, it's an, a Swiss legal term. It's, it's, a, it's a, even a law, I think. So for microbrands, People use and misuse it. Everybody has its own definition. Some brands get offended when you call them a micro brand. So Leopold was very politically correct by calling it small-ish mid-level brands. So for argument's sake, I'm going to use that term and quantify it as both monetary and quantity of production. For me, smallish is if they produce less than 1,000 watches a year and... For him, mid-level, I think he means 1,000 euros to 3,000. So 
I'm actually by coincidence wearing one today. And he lives in America. But is it an American brand? I don't know. It's Dumoro by Carlo Ayo. He's a Spanish architect living in California. Designed it in his home office in California. But it's 100% made in Switzerland. So David, you tell me, is it a Swiss or an American brand? We discussed that on our previous Q&A episode together. About cars, what is American, what is Swiss, what is French, and, and, and when can you title something, with, link it to a, a nationality, right? So what is Dumoulin? The name is definitely French. But beyond that, I mean, you know, post-pandemic, up is down and down is up. What's anything nowadays, right? Exactly. So so we invited Carlo to come on the show. He accepted the invitation. We're looking for a date because he's obviously on the West Coast. So there's a big time gap to to sit down, relaxed, and record. Um, so obviously, I'm going to ask him that question. What do you think your brand is, right? Why did you opt for a French name? Working as a Spaniard in California, producing everything in Switzerland. I tell you what, you know, it's funny because I, I joke that everything is is backwards now, but I think that is the beauty of 2024 is that you can do these things, right? Like collaborate across the world and 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 get all that help. And of course, multinational and a melting pot. That's the beauty of it. That's where chemistry is made. So anyway, so Dumo, they get a shout out. Um, one that I've bought recently was the Alain Silberstein collab with Awake, French brand. Yeah, French. Yeah. Yeah. So Awake is a shout out I want to give. Um, I dare to say Fears is small-ish mid-level. Yeah. It's, high, yeah. it's not high, high-end. It's not hotel luxury, but it's not, it, they're not cheap. Uh, they cost, uh, if I formulate one to 3,000, I don't know if they make watches below three today. Although, no, actually during uh, one of the red bars, I saw that they had Roman numerals dress watch, but was quartz. So I believe that's less than a thousand. So they do. So Fierce gets a shout out. That's a, a, a small-ish mid-level brand I bought. There's so many. I picked up during a swap meet at Red Bar, a Squale. Oh, very nice. Yep. Uh, oh, I do need to give a shout out to my dear friends at Alco Watch Company, Cedric Ballon. Would you call Nevada Grenchen? Uh, I think at this stage... Yeah, small, mid-level. Um, I'm very much... Obviously, a, a big a big name, but I mean, as far as production volumes, I, th- I think you could probably say that. Okay, I'll do two more. Bozel. Okay. Been on the show, friend of the show. And last one, Dutch Pride, French brand name, made in Switzerland, another beautiful melting pot, Aaron. Those are some interesting choices. So I've got four. I had three, and then just hearing you talk, Alan, reminded me of one more. So... I'm going to start with something that is super obscure, but very relevant to the discussion that we had last time we talked on on Swiss Made. So this brand is called Ultramarine Watches. So Ultramarine, U-L-T-R-A-M-A-R-I-N-E-Watches.com. And this is a brand that was started with the goal of actually making a 100% Swiss Made watch. If you look on, if you go to the website and you look on the dial, it says IOES on the bottom. And IOES means intégralement œuvré en Suisse, which means totally made in Switzerland. Now, the brand started out making two models based on the Eterna Caliber 39. They were the Ultramarine Morse, which I owned for a while, and the Albatross, which unfortunately has been discontinued. Uh, I think there might still be a couple for sale. Really fairly priced watches, I thought. Uh, for Swiss made. And now the current focus is called the Beluga, which 
isn't as interesting to me. It's got kind of a 50 Fathoms influence without being a 50 Fathoms, but crucially has transitioned over to Kinesi movements. So those you find in Tudor and um, Norcane watches as well. So definitely check them out if the Swiss made aspect is, is interesting to you. The other brand, now we're moving uh, sort of further south in Europe. The, the name is terrible, just speaking frankly, but the watches are super interesting. It's Echo Neutra watches. So that's E-C-H-O-N-E-U-T-R-A.com. They have some watches that kind of have their own style to an extent, but the most interesting one, I don't have the name in front of me, but it is a tool watch that has a moon, it's called the Averau moon phase. Actually, I've got this in front of me. It's a tool watch with a moon phase. Super interesting looking if you want to check that out. Third one is the Boulder Supply Company. They're a little better known. Uh, they've had some really interesting collaborations, I thought, with uh, Worn and Wild. So like a, a very neat 90s style uh, GMT watch with the new Miyota GMT. Super interesting. They came up on my radar because they have one called the Enigmath, which has a, uh, a slide rule in the bezel, which again, gets my engineer brain going. Uh, I, I don't want to have more watches, but that one I'd be tempted to. And the last one, Alon, uh, when you mentioned Bellon, because it sounds very similar, it's Bayo watches. So B-A, I think it's a one, and then L-O-D. And uh, that is a brand that is very good at making super high complications for very reasonable prices. So if that sounds interesting to you, uh, check that out. That is actually awesome. And again, I keep on learning by being part of our own podcast. I love it. Thank you so much, David, for that, for this episode. Again, I had great fun. I want to thank you, listener, for listening to this episode, all the episodes. You can find all our previous episodes on the official website, www.therealtime.show and on Instagram via at therealtime.show. If you want to support the show, please subscribe, like, rate, and do please share it with your friends. If you have any questions, feedback, and or criticism, please do send us a message. You can also DM us if you want to join the TRTS community. You can reach David via Instagram on his handle at D-A-V-A-U-C-H-E-R. You can email Rob on his address, rob at therealtime.show. And you can find him on IG at R-O-B-N-U-D-D-S. You can message me via A-L-O-N at therealtime.show. And you can find me on the gram via my handle at Alon Ben Joseph. Stay sane and keep on ticking.